July 15th, 2020. I might start rapping or something. I might start singing and rapping. This is WBOK, 12.30 a.m. I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. And we are NOLA Ed, Education for Liberation. We're happy to be here. Uh, it is raining. And we are happy to be here. We are, it's like, if you, one of my favorite movies that I reference all the time is, uh, that's really weird, is really Broadcast <laughs> News. <laughs> wow. Is Broadcast News because um, there's a scene with uh, Joan Cusack running through the studio trying to get a um, videotape the show, you know, broadcast news is mm-hmm. getting ready to go on. Have you seen the movie? No, it sounds like it's Oh uh, my god, for, you have to watch it. For certain of a pe- people wow. of a certain age. Wow, that's, I feel like that's a little bit of a, I was a little bit of ageism. Yeah. Um, anyway, I always feel like the way this show starts is like broadcast news. Like we're <laughs> running to get to the studio and or getting stuff ready. And sometimes it is like that. And today happens to be one of those days. It's because I took apart the tripod because I wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to learn. And I see what I did wrong now. And we also didn't plan for (laughs) uh, my limp. Oh, yeah. And uh, the amount of time it would take me to just walk to the car. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, just lots of stuff going on. Um, We are struggling to get the live going as we normally would do. There's a lot of um there are, there are a lot. Um, I did it. Um I'm so proud of you. Are you though? I mean that looks really dangerous and so I'll stay away from that end of the table. Um there are a lot of uh things going on today. So rallies, there is a uh there was a rally around uh ending the violence. Um I don't know the, uh, it was at, um, I think, uh, oh, I want to say Powger and Villery. Um, I'm going to just put this down. Today, yeah, yeah, why don't you do that? Uh, all right, so there is a severe weather alert, which is uh, scary. I mean, it was starting to rain. Uh, I have friends out at the rallies, mm-hmm. and I was asking them, not at the rally restaurants, but at the the pr- rallies today, tonight, that are going on right now, that started at 6. Um, and I was like, is, are y'all, like, is it raining? And it wasn't raining where they were, so a little scary. But It's a little scary, but we're so proud of everyone who is uh, protesting and advocating for Black Lives Matter. Yes, but this so the Take Them Down NOLA rallies today. I don't, I couldn't find um, information on that, but there was one on about a about um, violence in the community. Mm-hmm. There was a, a a young child was um, shot. Yeah, four year. Wow. Yeah, no, no, he was seven or nine. He looked like a baby. Yeah, he well, he was a baby. Yeah, I know, but like, he was yeah. he was nine. Yeah, he was nine. And so there was a rally today um, at the place where he was um, where he was gunned down, and two other teenagers were shot as well. And um, so no one knows why that happened. What was the um, 
reason for the shooting. I mean, they're not, he's nine, so what could he have done but just be a kid? So there was a rally today um, at uh, Palgren North Robertson. I don't know why I said Palgren Villery. Um, and then they were going to go to Hunter's Field, and I think there was a rally at Hunter's Field. So, um, and uh, the Take Him Down NOLA one was there. So, um, you know, so it's kind of a, a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and, and so folks are at, I hope they're able to be safe because there's now thunder and uh, there's a lightning uh, weather alert uh, that will include thunder and lightning and heavy rain. So that's kind of, you know, folks be safe. Go indoors when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of stuff going on. There is a Jefferson, um, the school board for Jefferson Parish is going on right now. Where yeah, they're supposed it's to, right now. They're, and they're going to, are they going to, are they actually going to share their plan for school reopening or what's happening? They have, they made a deadline that they were going to share their plan for school reopening by July 20th. Mm. Um, I know a couple principals have already circulated a letter mm. that they anticipate sending out to their parents. And, um, but you know, it's all, it's all moving. Uh, it's all a lot of moving pieces right now yeah. because um, the, the death toll in New Orleans is still rising, and the number of confirmed cases is also still rising, and it's increasing. Like, the per-day amount is increasing, um, you know, at a pretty steady pace. Right. And not just, uh, I mean, it's all over the state. Jefferson, Co- Jefferson County. Jefferson Parish is pretty, um, the, the, uh, the infection rate. The number of confirmed cases is pretty significant there, right? Yes. You all are having some issues, in, which is, you know, not far. We're right down the road, down the way from each other. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of it is because Jefferson Parish, weren't we pushing to reopen earlier? Mm-hmm. And really the movement, right, between yeah. Jefferson Parish and Orleans is so seamless, like that if there, if there are uh, surges in Orleans, I mean, uh, Jefferson needs to be concerned similarly for Jefferson if Je- there are surges in um, cases in Jefferson, we should be concerned in Orleans because people traverse between both places. Some people live in Jefferson Parish and work in Orleans and inversely um, may live in Orleans and work at Target or, you know, so they're um, Whole Foods or wherever, you know, uh, business at the at Lakeside. So there's a lot of movement between parishes um, and we should all be concerned about just the exposure and spread and the rates of diagnosis um so i don't know if i shared it to our page yet but there was a really interesting article that was talking about how um you're more so there's there's a disparity in whether or not you're likely to be tested based on race Mm -hmm. so people who appear to be african-american and i'm saying appear to be because the person who's interpreting like your body might not know whether you think of yourself as black but they they might think of you as black Mm -hmm. Um, and if so, if the person who might be providing the testing of you is black, then you're less likely to be tested, even if you're exhibiting symptoms. Now, what um, some parishes in Cleveland actually uh, started talking about was... Um, parishes or yeah, counties? No, parishes, like the like church communities. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the, the pastors of these church communities... Um, said that their parishioners were reporting that there was a lack of availability of tests mm. in the city center, mm. but that tests were much more available, like the further out from the city center you got, so in the suburbs. Um, 
so there's a disparity in terms of zip code as yeah. well. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's also stupid because we know people move. So, right. Like, uh, it's really interesting to me because one of the things that comes up with uh, the Obamacare marketplace is that the rate you'll pay for your particular plan also will change based on zip code. And that's because um, the insurance companies are using the health demographics of the particular zip code you're in mm. to determine your likelihood for, um, you know, contracting particular illnesses or being vulnerable to particular, like, lifestyle choices or whatever. Like, they use a lot of different language for it. But... Um, when I noticed that and talked about it with some insurance brokers I was working with for Ohio State for their Obamacare enrollment uh, event that I organized, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they were like, we talked about it as a disparity issue and an equity issue because, you know, it shouldn't be that if I use my employer's zip code to enroll for insurance, which is perfectly okay, like you can do that that I get a different rate when I use my zip code, even though I'm the same person mm -hmm. um, and the same body and I have the same stats. <gasps> Hooray! Yes. Miracle! Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. That was a weird video that we were streaming. <laughs> you know what? And I, and and I, don't I blame love you. everybody saying. who was watching, even if it was really, just my sister. Right. We love Teresa. I know, right? She's my biggest fan. Um, and I want to shout out to Utno because they posted on their page that we are live. Oh, great. Thank I you. Know. United Teachers of New Orleans. Shout out to United Teachers of New Orleans. Um, so, oh, later later in the show at 730, the executive vice president of Utno will be joining us by telephone. His name is Dave Cash. He is a teacher. Um, and he's, he's going to join us uh, tonight to talk mm. about a town hall that um, Utno, uh, Friends and Family of Louisiana's Incarcerated Children, mm. uh, Familias Unidas en Acción, um, and uh, I know I'm blanking, oh, Step Up Louisiana, uh, um, they uh, all hosted a um, town hall last week. Yeah, the famous town Wednesday. hall. On Wednesday. Yeah. Less. Oh, is it famous? Well, it's only famous. It's I keep hearing people talking about it. Really? Yes. Okay, so um, good. We'll yeah, we'll talk yeah, about yeah. that with Dave. So Dave will join us at seven thirty um to talk about that. And so uh it's awesome that uh you know, that they're uh that he's gonna come on the show in a minute. and and it's related to what we're talking about right now, right? Yeah. So the the reopening of schools and we were talking about LA Unified, which I don't think it'll It'll impact our conversation for Dave. So let's just talk about LA Unified and we, what you were sharing with me um, in the car ride. Over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I was listening to um, uh, so the Was Washington Post uh, did a really good interview with the uh, mayor of Los Angeles uh, about his decision to close the um, LA County, um, like the school districts. You know, mm -hmm. and one of the things he was saying is that um, you know he was concerned. Because children who lose, um, like, lose months of learning mm -hmm. uh, in terms of literacy and in terms of um, numeracy, that they, um, that that's a foundational bit of learning mm -hmm. that they'll always, they'll always show delays in, you know, so like, you can't necessarily make up um, being a slow reader mm -hmm. once you're in your, like, 30s. You know what I mean? I don't know. I kind of was like, yeah. I feel like you're misrepresenting right. the data there, but okay. We're, and we're, there's like no capacity. So you're learning. Your capacity to learn is fixed. 
I think what he was trying to say is mm. that the learning gaps, there's always going to be like a learning gap of some sort, whether mm-hmm. it's vocabulary, whether it's... Um, compared to that great song, compared to what? I mean, we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in an untested time. Right. We're in an untested time. We're in an untested time. So I'm thinking that they're pointing to that Well, same. but the gap is always, the comparison is always white people, right? The comparison is white people, and sure. I would hazard a guess, and this is, I'm not sure what literature they've been sharing with the mayor because he's not an education studies person, but you know that one study that I used to complain about a lot where they were comparing words spoken yes. to African-American children yes. in their home and yes. words spoken to white children? Yes. I would bet money that they're pointing to that same one study. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, which I'll post onto our Facebook page. I mean, because it's a very narrow and it's a very white supremacist, racist construction of what constitutes one being literate and verbal. Mm-hmm. Right. And what what it, what words are what words should be a part of one's vocabulary and what counts as a word, what counts as a word and the whole. I mean, it's all problematic. But what I liked about what he said, because I just lambasted. You know, the first chunk of what he said in terms of, oh, they're always going to show learning gaps, you know. Um, He then went on to say that one of the things he was very proud of was that um, that he closed schools before any contract tracing could link a child or a teacher or a staff member of the school getting the coronavirus to the to being at a public school. Yeah. So one of the things that he was most proud of is that he closed the schools before anyone could die because they yeah. went to public school. Um, I mean, do you should you really be proud of that though? Like I mean no. I mean I, I think I think when considering the amount of political pressure that he was faced under because they began that particular segment by talking about California as the fifth largest economy in the world. Yep. Um, and you know he was saying like there was a lot of economic and political pressure um, facing the mayors. I just feel like this. I'm I'm proud that I didn't kill any children. Yeah, like we shouldn't kill children. How about that? I'm proud that, you know, I didn't put I didn't I didn't give uh, teachers poison. Well yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. But see the thing is is that there's some folks who are on Twitter and are very active um who would not consider children who died of the coronavirus as actual children. They would consider them stats. Mm-hmm. Um, You're right. Especially because the children that he's identifying as having these, like, learning gaps, whether or not they're real. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. That, to me, that's I was like, that's coded. Population. And I was like, that's very coded language. For because, black kids. Like, black and Because we kids. know that there's white right. students who... Right. Their parent, like they're going to have the money to throw at tutors and whatever. So you're not talking about their learning gaps because you're not anticipating them having right. learning gaps. You're right, talking right, about right. black and brown kids, or or the parents who will fi- uh, pay for a nanny or yeah. a tutor, and they can still maintain their you know their work mm-hmm. week as usual or their work day as usual. Um, and families who are school dependent mm-hmm. because they are essential workers right. um, don't have that luxury. Yeah, so, and that was the other thing he was talking about was. Um, what defines an essential worker? Because he was like, one of the things he said he was feeling a little bit of frustration with is that the definition of an essential worker used to be, you know, if you were having a natural disaster, the people you'd allow back into the city first. You know, and so he was like, and that was not people that worked at Walmart. You know, like there was a point in time where we said an essential worker was someone who, if there was an emergency, absolutely needed to stay at their job. So it was nurses. It was doctors. It was, you know, first responders. But um, he was like, it's become slippery slope language 
where um, essential workers have come to include teachers. Yep. And he was like, and in the the segment then went on to discuss how teachers are important and view themselves as important, rightfully so. But to call them essential workers in the sense that they should be sacrificial or, you know, um, that their labor is necessary for the economy. And he was like, and it's a difficult thing for me to say because we're the fifth largest economy in the world. And I don't think what anyone realized is how much that economy depended on public services like public education. So when we can't have our labor force go to work because they have children to watch, you know, or if because of gender inequities in the household, many of our bright and coming um, young female tech workers like have a disproportionate amount of labor because they're working from home. Um, He's like, we're seeing some generational impacts on our economy. Um, But at the same time, what does it mean to be essential when we're just talking about money? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not a hurricane. It's not an earthquake. Right. We're just it's essential for they're essential workers for capitalism. Right. Right. So just uh, recently I was trying to find this notice and it's great. So I'm not begrudging this opportunity. Um, so the city is willing to give uh, they're going to give two hundred and fifty dollars to essential workers. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And the definition of essential workers included grocery store mm-hmm. uh, personnel people who provide um, direct service. So, of course, it was the nurses and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. But people who had direct contact with um, the public. And it included waitresses and our wait staff. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So to your point, but they are are essential to capitalism. Right. Because you don't need to go. You don't need to be at a restaurant right now. No, we don't need to be at a restaurant. Right. And I feel like um, in terms of our restaurant industry, like, I don't know. It's crazy to see the ways in which capitalism tries to, like, take over um, the work that social services would normally do. So, like, you can, if you do Uber Eats, you can donate to your restaurant. Um, Airbnb was trying to encourage people to donate to hosts that they had stayed at. So, like, if you're, you know, you stayed at somebody's house in Boston and you paid, like, they're your landlord even when they're not your landlord. And that's insanity because there are people we know that are wealthy who had multiple properties who could come into a city like New Orleans or Boston or San Francisco or Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Very few were just uh, in-home, right? They they, they were sharing. No, it was a business. And so we're going to donate to them. Mm-mm, no, and that was they're getting. But that's yeah again. Yeah, but it's, it's covering it's covering the 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 gaps that if we had a different financial system wouldn't exist. If so there like, was a willingness by the state to provide for their citizens, yeah, we wouldn't have to. You like I even felt compelled. Like I have favorite favorite restaurants that I like here. Yeah, that I you know I don't want them to close. I don't you know I don't want them to shutter. I like going there. There. You know, they have great food and the atmosphere is great. So, you know, um, I wouldn't mind ordering food from them. But, you know, the um, compulsion to order food because you want their folks to be able to work um, is, again, a reflection of these are essential workers for um, for to serve capitalism. Do you remember when after September 11th, um, we had to go back to shopping because otherwise the terrorists would have won? (laughs) Like, like does does anybody else remember that? Was that just me? <laughs> no, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, every stimulus package they've given us, right? Yeah. And the, oh, that was be, the other thing that be, they were complaining about was that the stimulus packages, people were saving their money. So because it what the money wasn't recirculating in the economy the way that they assumed it would, um, like people were using it to pay off credit card debt. Yeah. They were using it to get ahead on their mortgages because yeah. they knew that the the rent, not their not their mortgages, their rent. So they knew the rent forgiveness was going to expire. So they were like, boom, here's your twelve hundred dollars. Don't have, don't talk to me about this again. Um, and so they were like, yeah. So they took the financial advice that people give the the working poor, um, like save your money, don't charge stuff, da 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 da, da. and. Um, Punish them for it. Punish like, them why, for why, it. Why, how dare you do that? How dare you? What 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 kind of patriot are you if yeah. you're not sewing back into the... Yeah. And um, Jeff Bezos made out like a fat rat. Like, he's about to be the first trillionaire, right? Yep. That's yep. insanity. And I feel bad because I, I use Amazon a lot. I You know, I've, I have... Um, it's been my last resort for a number of things. So, for instance, things that I would buy. Like, I just bought an arrow garden, which yeah. I love it to death really? and have you ever tried an arrow garden i really want to oh i love it in fact i'm gonna get another one so for me i mean it's for me but i would get <laughs> one for you if you want one i will i mean i would i would get you one they ain't cheap though so um but i but they're on sale now because you know what happened right after covid everybody started getting arrow gardens like yeah. it's hard to find an arrow garden so i was almost gonna buy one on amazon because everywhere i had yeah. looked from the arrow, so I started buying. I now, if I need to get something, I try to go directly to the seller as yeah. opposed to going through Amazon because I just don't want to buy from Amazon. My main Amazon addictions right now is to like put it all out there, and I'm gonna also say how I'm trying to address it with myself has been ebooks and streaming services. Like, I got into the habit because um, Amazon Prime is not was not blocked in my classroom. So if I had something on Amazon Prime, I could show it to my students because you can't do that with Netflix and you can't do that with HBO Now. Not that I was showing anyone anything on HBO Now. But I'm there's just, nothing wrong with HBO Now. I think it's fascist when we when we block information from kids. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, there's a very great little 10-minute documentary on Samurai that was blocked, but I can put it on my Amazon account, like my Amazon Drive, or I can use the the streaming services like Prime Video or whatever, and I can show it in my classroom. So I still have my Amazon Prime, uh, which I'm using, and Kindle for eBooks. Now, to yeah, address the that. Kindle situation, yeah. I got two really good Humble Bundles, which I had heard of, but I had never used. I don't know what that is. What is That's it? when a bunch of authors are like, we care a lot about a particular cause. So we'll put electronic copies of some of our stuff, and if you pay $5, you get four books. If you pay $10, you get 10 books. And then if you pay $20, you get, like, 40 books. Well, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. So the one that I – the two that I got, one was um, diversity in comic books. So um, basically, like, 30 or 40 actually really good comics. Some of them I already own, but some of them um, – I had wanted for a while, like they'd been on my wish list for Do a while. Do you really own them, though, when you have an, an e-book? I feel like you're just running it. That's the thing I like about Humble Bundle versus Amazon, because they're sold without DRM, which is digital mm. rights management. So mm. as long as you have the file, you do own it. Mm. So with Amazon, Amazon generally sells, unless you're getting something from Tor, which is a particular, it's a publisher, or from certain academic press, um, which say in their contract with Amazon that 
they the work is sold without digital rights management. Oh, nice. Um, which means you own the electronic file. Oh, that's awesome. Lots of other stuff on Amazon is sold with digital rights management, like affiliated with it, which means that if you're you just want, renting it, basically. You're basically just renting it. Um, so that was another thing that attracted me to Humble Bundle. So I got the comic book one, and then I got the um, black queer one, mm. which is just a collection of just recent stuff that's like very pro, pro-black feminism, uh, a lot of authors I hadn't heard of, some that I would I like, but I wouldn't have bought their stuff. Mm. Like, there's a really interesting one on decolonizing wealth, and it's mm. basically on, like, what financial and wellness strategies for women of color. Yeah, I know. That's and dope. she included her audiobook. That's nice. Yeah, and so oh, for $20, I'm not going to send it to you because... I mean, need... no, send me the link. That's oh, yeah, I'll send you the link. I don't mean send me the thing. But that see, that's the that. that's the ethical quandary. Yeah, because, because you have to get it from Amazon, and there's but no... No, 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 no. Oh, it's not that I have to get it from Amazon. You have to get it through Humble Bundle. And it's not through Amazon, but what I was saying is the ethical quandary is that what often is an issue for books written by people of color is that the pass-around rate is uh, one purchase to 20 pass-around, whereas Mm. for books and magazines that are typically marketed towards more white audiences, the pass-around rate is one to four. Mm. So one purchase to every four people you share it with. So the first thing So we're doing the hookup. And see, that was the first thing that I had to do when I realized, oh, snap, I have this entire, like, these these now 40, like, so many comic books and so many fiction books and so many things that I wanted. And I know, like, 20 other people who want them. And I had to resist the urge to um, share it. With to them. share it. Yeah. And then I had to, like, have a very stern talking to with myself. So, but wait, how does this, what does it have to do with Amazon, though? Because it's a way of getting ebooks that can work through your Kindle app. Because I don't want to learn a new app. Yeah. Um, so they'll work with your Kindle. You can send it to your Kindle and read it through your Kindle Fire, yeah, through I your do, Kindle yeah. Cap. Um, but you're not supporting Amazon. You're, oh, the really? mon- the the yeah. money is going either directly to the author, from what I understand, or to whatever charities the author is That's donating nice. to. Well, so you have to put that on our page. Yeah, I definitely will. I yeah. definitely will. Because awesome. I'm super excited. I got the body is not an apology. And the audiobook nice. of that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, the Sisters Are All Right. Nice. And the audiobook. Great. And the Decolonizing Wealth one. And a bunch of others. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, I've i just started. I really prefer, actually, and I don't know how, you, how you're doing with this, but because I read so many papers yeah. online, uh, you know, because I grade papers yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm reading articles, I'm reading manuscripts, it's just my eyes get tired, so I prefer books now. Um, and uh, I have a ton of books, so I just, I just, and and I actually go to the book. There's a bookstore here that I love, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Community Book Center on Bayou Road, um, that I love to go to and just buy the book itself. And so, um, Vera, who is wonderful, like I will send her, I'll send her the link from Amazon yeah, <laughs> so yeah, she yeah. knows what I'm, you know, what what they're selling it for, um, and not not in any way to incentivize her to sell it me, to me for that price, but it's just easier to send her so the Amazon the ISBN. link. So she has the ISBN. She yeah. says or I'll just be reading and I'll see a book, um, and I'm like, oh, Vera, I want this book. So I've like, I mean, I I buy a ton of books a year, um, and I read most of them, but I actually just prefer the book over the Kindle. But if I need it immediately, mm-hmm. I'll get it on Kindle. But I want to do this. Um, yeah, I'll send you the bundle. link. I'll send you the link. Um, for me, but also, you know, the publishers, you can get the ebooks from the publishers. So I like University Press, yeah, like I have some from and they don't use Kindle, though. So it is a little I, I might if it's so for those of you who didn't know, if it's a .mobi file, you can just add it to your Kindle. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So University of Chicago, almost every publisher yeah. now 
has a ver- the, the books that I've looked for they have a ebook version yeah but there is a website that I've had to go to to yeah. you know the dot, it there the dot mobi format and the dot epub are the two most common formats yeah, and ePub. kindle will kindle oh, will read both of them oh that's nice yeah okay awesome. so um yeah i mean and i i was i really jazzed like i found out about humble bumble humble bundle like three days ago and I've already bought I've already spent like $40 and and got so many books right all of this is because we don't want to make we don't want to contribute to Bezos's Bezos's wealth yeah he's not contributing to mine capitalism okay so we're going to take a short break this is WBOK 1230 AM I am Dr. Adrian I'm Dr. Maria and we are education for NOLA Ed education for liberation we'll be (laughs) right back man Truth. I'm the truth. In power. WBOK. 1230 AM. What New Orleans is talking about. About. Hello, 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 hello. We're back. It's WBOK. 1230 AM. I am Dr. Adrian. And I'm Dr. Maria. And we are NOLA Ed, Education for Liberation. It is Wednesday, July 15th, 7.34 p.m. Um, and lots of stuff going on. I think the weather alert is over. When we got in here, like, a weather alert immediately started. And um, I, I feel like there's a joke that could be made about causing storms and, like... We're causing power. Storms? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. we're powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the joke, but okay. I couldn't make the joke happen. Yeah. So there I might know. not be one. Yeah. So, um, but we are talking with uh, the inimitable Dave Cash, who's joining us. Dave. Hey, Adrian, Dr. Adrian. <laughs> Dr. Maria. How are you? I'm pretty well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you you you? I'm glad you didn't brave the elements and walk over here. The whole two yeah, blocks. no. <laughs> I'm 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 two blocks away from you, but um, yeah, it's good to be safe and sound and under a under my roof. Yeah, it's like a, a bad weather out there. So I know did, it is. Hopefully, it passes by the time you don't have to drive home. I know. I hope so too. Um, <laughs> so, Dave, thank you for joining us. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do. And then we'll sure. chat about what we're going to chat about. All right. My name is Dave Cash. I'm a teacher in New Orleans. I teach at Rooted High School. Um, I teach technology classes. Um, and I'm the executive vice president of the United Teachers of New Orleans, AFT Local 527. You better say that. I always forget to say Local 527. You have that down pat every time. <clears throat> well, see, it's important history to us because AFT Local 527 was... Uh, was formed by black teachers in 1937 who were fighting for, you know, pay equalization during the Great Depression. And so that, and then our union was born, so United Teachers of New Orleans was formed as a merger of um, AFT Local 527 and the local NEA union um, in 1972. 
what's notable about it is that the white teachers in the local NEA union joined AFT Local 527 in, in the integration. So they came under black leadership, which is something you didn't see very often. It was the first time, I think, that a, a teacher's local in the South integrated. And we we're really proud of the history of being a black local um, going back to our roots. So, yeah, yeah the awesome. AFT 527 is an important part of our history that we like to claim. It is. When was that? What year was that, Dave? It was 1937. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and at, on another show, for real, for real, I want you to come on and talk about the amazing history that you um, pinned that's on the, is it on the AFT site or is it on the Etno site? It's on Utno's website. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and, just search for Utno, Utno, you know, United Teachers of New Orleans on Google, you should find it. Yeah. Um, and share that. So we're talking about, We I wanted you to come on because um, Utno and Flick and um, uh, Familias Unidas in Acción and Step Up Louisiana. And I can't think of if there's an, oh, Rethink, Kids yep. Rethink New Orleans. And, oh. and Open as and well. And Open. Oh, my gosh. I just forgot everybody. Yeah, there were six of us. Yeah, there were six <laughs> of us. Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> We all hosted a um, town hall last week that Maria says is famous. Yes, I've seen a lot of chatter about it on the internets. On the internet. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So, Dave, can you share a little bit about uh, the town hall? And then what I missed, because I had to come to the radio show, um, what was going on in the breakout sessions? If you can, whatever you can share. Sure. I'm happy to. Um, Well, so we at Utno have been concerned about, as our national, you know, um, affiliate AFT, American Federation of Teachers, has been concerned about the way schools are going to reopen this fall. And AFT put out some guidelines back in May that they thought should be what we should be looking at. So they were really ahead of the curve on thinking about that. We shared those with the school board members um, in May um, to say, here's you know, here's some guidelines we hope you'll consider when you're thinking about reopening. We also hope that you'll, you know, in, engage us and others, you know, in, in this conversation. So then we, later on that month, I think it was like towards the end of May, May 26th maybe, we um, sent an email, another email to the to the school board, uh, to the office of the superintendent and to school board members uh, because we'd heard that the task force had been announced, mm-hmm. and we were concerned that the task force that was going to create this roadmap for reopening didn't have, you know, they published a list of who was on it, and it was very top-heavy with, like, uh, charter board members yeah. um, and school leaders and, and network leaders. And we, we definitely believe they should be in the room and be part of a conversation, but we, we think it wasn't proportionally balanced correctly. There were only four teachers listed on the original task force. Yeah. They were all elementary school teachers. Mm. There were three parents, and they were all... Um, you know, professional parents yeah. that they didn't—they didn't have parents with a broad variety of sort of economic right. backgrounds. Yeah. And we also saw that there were no high school teachers, there were no custodians, there were no uh, cafeteria true. workers, yeah. there were um, there were no social workers, no nurses. So many important voices were not at the table at the crafting of this document. Also, it wasn't clear to us how they chose who was on it. There was no the pop, the process wasn't made public or transparent. And we were really concerned about that. So we continued to try to engage with them. And they said, well, we said, you know, look, we want to have these other voices on the task force on the, yeah. you know, the day after it was announced. We said, look, we need this. We need to have these other voices on the task force. 
and we'd like to have a seat at the table as well as the United Teachers of New Orleans because we represent a lot of diverse voices and experiences in schools. And, you know, we, we were told, you know, they would think about it and get back to us in 24 hours and never did. <laughs> they gave us uh, somebody to talk to who was a person who didn't have a lot of decision-making ability and didn't seem to have a lot of information. We asked a lot of questions that this person didn't know the answer to. So we were, you know, frustrated with the, the way that they were kind of keeping us and a lot of other people with important voices at arm's length during this process and not really being clear about even, you know, how often the task force met. Later, we asked somebody we knew who was on the task force to sort of tell us the names of, they said they had added some high school teachers. We asked for those names, and the district never gave them to us. Um, but we asked, so we asked somebody who we knew who was on the task force, mm. and they told us they had been sworn to secrecy. What? So, yeah, we think that we don't don't think that's a kind of process, you know, that this needs to be right now. What we need people to what we really need to be building is trust. Yeah. And a process that's like in the dark behind those doors in secrecy with a sort of you know, process that's unclear, nobody knows what it is, and then the makeup of the group is, you know, what isn't representational of the people who are going to be, you know, on the front lines. We just didn't think that was a system that was going to really build build trust or a process that was really going to build trust. So once they released the roadmap, you know, uh, we we said, hey, we need to we need to try to put together a forum you know, we'll reach out to some partners, you know, so we, we, we built this coalition of these six groups to to be able to give a voice to people who didn't have a voice in this process and who were who were feeling a lot of panic and concern because they hadn't heard from a lot of them hadn't heard from the schools that their kids attended or the schools where they worked if they were teachers. And so we had we put out on social media, you know, we, we put the word out that we were going to do this town hall on Zoom. And we had over 300 people. Last the highest I saw during the meeting was 309 people join this thing. I've never been on a Zoom call wow. that big before. I know, uh, especially That's one crazy. that was That's just awesome. a, a grassroots call. Yeah. And really important to us was that everybody who was in attendance at this meeting, all 309 people, were given a chance to talk. And so we did. We broke into breakout rooms during the town hall. And um, I was a facilitator in one of the breakout rooms. And so I, you know, I made sure that everybody in my breakout room got to speak. And, and, and then they t- I took notes about what they were saying. And I heard a lot of, you know, there were several parents who said, um, for instance, they, they, they told me a lot of things I hadn't heard. So this is one of the things that's so great about us talking to each other is we get to hear things that yeah. aren't being published, you know, in the media. So some of these parents said that they were had been given an email, they'd gotten an email from their school where their kids went, being told that they had until, so our town hall meeting was on July 8th, Wednesday, July 8th. They'd been told that they had until July 9th to let the school know whether they were going to be sending their child in person or whether they were going to be, you know, uh, keeping their child home for virtual school. No. And this is like a super early deadline. I mean, teachers haven't even been much contacted. And so one of the parents specifically said, She's a hospitality worker, and right now she's receiving, you know, enhanced uh, unemployment benefits because of the, uh, the the Heroes Act or the CARES Act. I guess it was the first one. Yeah. Anyway, so she said, "Look, if I 
I don't know whether that's going to extend past the end of July. So I can't answer this question right now. If I yeah. if I don't have this exp- expanded, you know, uh, benefit of unemployment, then I'm going to have to go find a job and then I won't be able to keep my kid at home. You know, oh like, so I don't know how to answer this question right now. I don't yeah. have enough information. It seems unreasonable to ask me this at this time. Right. So, you know, that was, you know, another parent talked about um, how uh, that it hadn't, you know, the, the, the distance learning in the spring hadn't really been it was some some parents said it really was good at the, where they were, and some people said it really wasn't. It was really seemed like it was really uneven, you know, school mm-hmm. implementation of distance learning. Yeah. And and you know the district has said that they're going to provide training and support to schools, but my question is, who's doing this training? Like who who in the city is an expert on distance learning? Right. The people in the city that have the most experience with distance learning are the teachers who did it during the spring. You know, usually when you work at a school as a teacher, your your principal and other sort of coaches have experience that they've, you know, been through that they can share with you. But yeah. in this moment, they don't have more experience in this kind of teaching than we do. Mm-hmm. And so they, their, their guess is as good as ours as right. to what works. And we've had more experience on the ground with actually doing this and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah, that was what the, the town hall was about was was just trying to make sure that we could, you know, hear people. And people clearly, clearly had a lot to get off their chest. There, a lot of people are really worried and really concerned. Yeah, that's, uh, it is terrifying. I was just looking at the statement that, um, is it Gisela? Uh-huh. Jackson. Gisela Jackson, yeah, that she put out, which, I, you know, it's, it's it's promising and she I'm impressed with her leadership. Yeah, she and she was a former mm-hmm. she wrote the charter for Crockett. So she mm-hmm. and her husband had a church over on uh, Amelia Street uptown and uh she oh okay um and uh and she's replacing Ben Cleveland. She was appointed yeah. by she Ben was appointed, she was yeah. appointed to take his seat. Um, right. And we're going to, uh, Jeff Berrios is going to join us um, from the okay. um, Jefferson Parish um, Union. Hey, Jeff. I know Jeff. Hey. Hello. Hey. And Dave is on hey, here. Dave on. Cash. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dave. How are you? Yeah. Good. So How are you? We're, um, I don't know if you were able to hear us, Jeff. We we're talking about uh, the town hall last week, and I was going to read uh, Grisela Jackson's, uh, Grisela Jackson's statement. Um, she's a school board member. Um, and so it was delayed, d- delayed, dated yesterday. As much as I appreciate the great efforts of New Orleans Public Schools in devising the roadmap to reopening schools and the ongoing preparations by each charter school to get schools ready to reopen, my concerns for the safety of our students, faculty, staff, auxiliary workers, and administration have not been alleviated. In a health crisis, the safety of the many is the number one priority. Every single day, physicians and medical experts are learning more and more about the impact of this novel coronavirus and seeing a higher number of young children being infected and impacted. This virus, which is unlike any other, causes us to to pose the following questions. If we close our schools in March before the number of cases reached a critical high, why are we reopening them at a time when the numbers continue to spike? How high do the numbers have to get before we add additional safeguards to phase two or before we revert to phase one? What benchmarks will trigger schools to go to virtual learning? 
Is it better to err on the side of caution now than to look back with regrets weeks or months from now because we pulled the trigger too soon? For these reasons, I recommend that the administration implement virtual learning in all of our schools, at least for the first quarter, with continuing assessments of all the variables that are conducive to a much safer reopening. As the board representative for the 5th District, which is my district, I I reserve the right to suggest amendments and modifications to this plan to make it as safe as possible for all of the students and adults in and outside of the building and for their families at home. So, Dave, you were saying you were impressed with her statement. I was impressed with her leadership. Her what, leadership. what I'm impressed oh, by I'm is sorry. I can't recall a time uh, in the last, I don't know, it, for sure in this school board term, I can't recall a time when a school board member has issued a statement that is pushing back on something that the superintendent has been calling for. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. right. So, I mean, school board members generally – in my experience, they seem to largely act as a rubber stamp for yeah, um, and not a safe, not Lewis. a check in the balance. Yeah, yeah, and she's brand new, and she's already coming out and saying, you know, but like, let's put the brakes on. She's like specifically calling for a policy decision to be made, which a lot of board members have said that they, you know, like to just sort of step back and let the policy stuff happen at the superintendent's office. So, I'm, you know, I'm impressed by by her leadership in stepping up and making this. Um, making this statement. And I'm sure people thought she was because she was she was selected by them um to take Cleveland's place that she was kind of going to just maintain the status All quo. Yeah. yeah, and that she was bold, but but I have I had had the pleasure of meeting her when she first got her school. Um and uh, she's she's impressive just in her own right. She's an engineer by training, actually, wow. um, and has an engineering firm um, and uh, and is a because she and her husband had a church. She is a woman of faith. I don't I don't know what happened with Crocker. Um, I know she was highly motivated and very excited to have the church and to keep it in the neighborhood. Um uh, so that's all I'll say for that. But I, I think that is, uh, you're right. I think it is impressive. And it's it, it's impressive because, and this is what um, um, Marie and I were talking about earlier, about uh, the, the superintendent in LAUSD, that he was proud that he closed the school. And I'm like, you know, like sometimes I don't know that we need to be proud of doing the, something that's right. That's doing the right thing. <laughs> like I'm proud that I didn't put children. Right, yeah, I'm proud that I didn't put children in a Petri dish and expose them to a deadly virus. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, like let's congratulate <laughs> right. you for that. Whatever helps you sleep better at night. Right, and I mean, you know, the job of the school. sentence thousands of children to, to getting COVID and give it right. to their families. <laughs> right, to eminent death and spread of a, in a pandemic. I mean, so the work of the school board is to check the superintendent, right? They they are the mm-hmm. check and the balance. That's what they're supposed to do. So to the extent that what she did is bold given the times, yes. I think, as you said, Dave, I mean, it's been a long time that we've seen someone actually not carry the wood or carry the water for the power structure. Um, Jeff, you just left um, the school board meeting for the Jefferson Parish schools, right? Correct. How was that meeting? Um. Well, I left most like by about halfway through. They were um, selecting who the new superintendent is going to be. Um, I'm, I'm very still very safe in uh, saying that uh, on radio, even that uh, James Gray, the um, 
from our chief of schools is going to be that person uh, now going to take that role. Uh, filling in for Kate Brumley, who was the uh, now the state superintendent, mm. who, um, as you all just very you know eloquently articulated, that school board generally acts as a rubber stamp for a superintendent. That was absolutely the case in Jefferson Parish uh, with Dr. Brumley. Um, now, before that, uh, in, the, in, the, in the very same meeting, uh, there was a vote on a change to the, the calendar, the school calendar, mm. uh, to push the date of um, the date of uh, the start of school back until the 12th of August. So instead of um, instead of you know sentencing kids to where they're doomed on the 5th of August, I think it was the 5th or the 7th yeah, of the August, it's not going to be the 12th. So. That's the sort of situation, and, and multiple educators, multiple parents, and multiple parents slash educators, including and also the the, the president of, of Jefferson Federation of Teachers uh, and our secretary treasurer, uh, both came all came up and spoke against that. There was not a single person in support of it, mm. and the entire school board looked at us directly in the face and did they just essentially said we're opening schools up and on the twelfth and at no other point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they have uh, a very Sort of scant model that's based very closely on the um, the Bessie um, guidelines that were put out. They already passed that ahead of time. Um, when um, they they they'd actually passed that in the meeting, I think it was on the first mm-hmm. of July, um, indicating that they sort of knew what the guidelines were going to be, and they just had them ready and passed by the time they had submitted them. So um, the debate on that was already done over and done with by the time uh, all the Bessie stuff had gone through. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, Maria teaches in Jefferson Parish. Yeah, this is terrifying. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah. Hi, Maria. Hello. <laughs> uh, I just don't, I mean, I, I well, so, you But know, where are we going to find substitutes? You're not. Where the hell? I mean, We who? couldn't find substitutes before. No, I know, but I mean, like, Who's going to want to substitute in a class? So, like, if I get sick, if I get sick and I get diagnosed, like, I don't even get sick, right? Like, I just, mm-hmm. a student in my class has been diagnosed with COVID, and now, like, what? I take, like, 14 days. Yeah, because, yeah, right. But, so where does that those days come from? Because I only have five days in my contract that are days off, so I don't right. want to use up all my days mm-hmm. off because I'm, I haven't even tested positive. And then for those 14 days, what substitute is going to want to come in and cover for a class mm-hmm. where a student well, has tested positive. Well, it seems to positive. me that, that everybody in the class, like, what, right? If a kid tests, tests po- I was going to say tests, tests positive, <laughs> and that kid has to stay home, you have to stay home. All the kids in the classroom have to so stay like home. So, like, my right? entire course mm-hmm. load is going to have to, that's going to be. I would imagine. That's and like then, 150 kids. Well, and your sister is a teacher, right? So yeah, so. You live at home. Days. Yeah. So, so what happens to your sister, who's also a teacher who lives in the home with you? Yeah, she teaches at a different school. I mean, you know, the the impact is reverberating. Like right? the math that doesn't it, seem to work out. You know what? You know, uh, so, so I was at Bessie yesterday, too. And um, at some point, they were talking about, uh, like, diagnostic testing and LEAP 360 upon return of schools and all this other stuff. And what? I turned over and a lead to a friend of mine. And I was like, wow, they're going to the only kind of testing that they're not going to be doing when we're going back to uh, school is covid test because <laughs> right. they know we would fail that is right. insanity dave had they have they said anything about testing kids when um if and when they go back 
at my school. Yeah. Or just no, no Lapias. Um, you know, as far as I know, they haven't made a, a change to the original calendar. So the district touting, is touting this sort of unified calendar this year. Um, I don't know if you've seen that or not, but, no. um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it, it has like a window when schools are supposed to have their first day. Right. I think it's like August 7th to 11th is my memory of it, but I'm not looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there hasn't been a word yet. You know, I can say that at my school, um, we were going to start our professional development this week on Monday in person. Although every teacher had the option who wanted to, to do it remotely if they felt more comfortable. My school's been really, you know, thoughtful and accommodating. Um, of, of teachers. And so we all had the option, but then they decided on the weekend that they were going to just do the whole thing virtually. And so now we're having our PD um, this week that starts this week and it's for the next four weeks. Uh, it's going to be all virtual. And oh, so okay, um, we don't know, you know, I think that there's, they, they, I think a lot of people in our school, including leaders believe that we probably will go back into phase one or, or something, you know, we'll, we'll either be back in phase one or, or be in phase two with cases rising rapidly. So I don't think my, my guess is I haven't heard anything from them, but, you know, I know that um, they're probably thinking that, although, yeah, I do know that like there have been schools in the city which have already kind of made decisions. Um, well, at least one school I know of has already kind of let teachers know they were going to go virtual for the first quarter. But then, um, yeah, I think that the, uh, school board isn't happy that they've made that decision already so i think they 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 you know there's uh i don't know it, it's it's not nothing's been firmly uh it's it's hard when there's nothing decided in place. yet yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah. well so, but i think that's what miss jackson is pushing for is to have a firm decision have a decision um, just and, land you know, on and something. make it now so people yeah. can stop worrying so start, about what is or isn't going to happen yeah well, I want to thank Jeff Barrios for joining us late. I'm sorry I didn't see your text earlier, Jeff. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. We want to have you guys back. Course, we course. want to amplify. This is an issue that we're all worried about, Yeah, all of us. So we will plan yeah. to have you all back in a couple weeks when we know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. This is WBOK 1230 AM. I am Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. And we are No Lead Education for Liberation. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you. Good, good talking to you all.